This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. Uh, my name is Lisa Kovacevic. Happy birthday. Oh, thanks. Happy guys. birthday, Lisa. <laughs> That's Sally and Emma piping up in the background there. Um, on tonight's show, uh, we look at the conflict currently playing out in eastern Ukraine, uh, which is explored in Donbass, an absurdist look at the ongoing conflict between the official army and Russian-backed rebels in Donbass, a far-flung region of Ukraine, as told via a series of abstract vignettes. And A Star is Born is remade for the fourth time, possibly fifth time, with uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper taking over the roles previously held by Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, uh, among many other predecessors, including Judy Garland and James Mason. Am I right? Was that James Mason? Yes. 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 yes, James Mason. Um, but first, we'll kick off with The Cleaners. Um, well, have you ever wondered or been online and had the traumatic experience of being exposed to an image that you wish you'd never seen, only to find it disappear before you could report it? Or have you ever posted what you thought was an innocent image on your Facebook or Instagram page only to have it taken down by some unseen hand. Ever wondered where those images go or why they go? The Sundance documentary The Cleaners reveals who determines what we can and can't see on the internet. These content moderators or cleaners are not merely algorithms or censorship bots. They're individuals working for major social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter and Google. These moderators are employed to view every single picture and video that has been flagged for being potentially problematic or in violation of the platform's codes. These content moderators or cleaners are outsourced. They're based in Manila and their story is an interesting one. Paid to view in excess of 25,000 images of pornography, violence, murder, war, torture and death per day. For them, it's a relentless horror show where individuals determine whether images should be ignored or deleted in an attempt to determine what is acceptable for we, the viewing public, to see and what is not. Uh, but first-time documentary directors Moritz Reiserwick and Hans Block have much bigger themes to explore as the movie broadens its scope to cover what the directors clearly see as a real-time global catastrophe, a situation where social media networks like Facebook, Twitter and Google fail to recognise the ways their platforms are fueling hate, vitriol, discord and violence with devastating results and no-one seems to be willing to take responsibility or able to hold these companies to account. Emma, did it make you want to shut down your Facebook account and return to the old printing press where your news was actually edited by, I don't know, a news editor? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, this title, The Cleaners, as well, mm. I think that it it suggests... Sanitary. It's Yeah, it yeah. suggests also working class. It suggests... Um, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, blue-collar work rather than white-collar work, shall mm. we say. Mm. Um, it's the people that are employed to, yeah, clean up our shit, basically. And they happen to be in the developing world. Mm. Uh, yeah, this yeah. is what I thought was very, very eye-opening. I had no idea who would be in charge of this sort of thing or how it happened. I actually assumed it was algorithms. But in this documentary they say that the work is deemed not possible by algorithms at the moment, yet they are somehow given an algorithm to follow, really, which I thought was unusual. They sort of sent um, uh, images that are potentially in violation of the company's code, but then they have to determine through very arbitrary means, it's very black and white, whether or not something is deemed appropriate or not. But essentially it's coming down to individuals to make that decision. Absolutely. And individuals that are essentially exploited workers, really, when we think about it, I'm sure they're not being paid a lot. There's no talk about their what they are being paid. 
there's a lot of talk about the responsibility that lands on their shoulders and um, the psychological effects of that work. Uh, we do hear of quite dire effects on some of the employees. But I think from showing their lives and sort of walking around in their lives, we're given and the impression that they're not being remunerated in a way that's probably comparable to what they're going through and the responsibility that's put on their shoulders. And I think this happens a lot in uh, a lot of work today, unfortunately, that what's deemed as menial tasks actually ha can have such a huge impact. impact yep. And as you were saying, Lisa, I think that I heard that too, 25,000. What yeah, they see they in have a to, shift? They have to clock 25,000 images per shift. And for videos, they actually have yeah. to watch the duration and they get flagged if they haven't watched the video through. I don't know how they're, they're monitoring that, but, um, but they're in there sort of big office buildings just constantly looking at our images that are going up through Facebook and um, yeah. YouTube and Google and Twitter and well yeah. they had it, it look the the the, at the the parameters that they work within are well intentioned shall we say but um, they do the I thought the interesting experiment was they showed that photograph of the the young girl naked running down the road with the from it's a very iconic image yep. from Vietnam most people the Vietnam War most people will know it uh, with the napalm bombs going behind her and that image came up and they asked one of the the cleaners I say with quotation marks mm. to make a decision on whether this image will be pulled down or not and his decision was to pull it down because it was of a naked minor yeah. a child yeah so these these um, the the, risk, the parameters that they're giving are really arbitrary if it's a naked child or a dead child you pull it down so there was a, another example of the image of the Syrian refugee boy whose yes. body was found washed up on shore was it 2013 was it that far ago um i can I, remember when it happened uh, but i can't remember the exact the, date you yeah. know the image um and it, again they pull this image down because it's showing a, a dead child he's three years old but you start doing that you start editing our news content um and you start deeming what is isn't newsworthy and you're stopping truth from reaching the masses essentially exactly and this this image from vietnam war is a an image that has endured across decades and has managed to remind us constantly of the damage of war the atrocities of war yeah so we end up becoming completely sanitised. Yeah. But then there is a good intent behind it as well in order to protect children. And what the naked child um, rule comes from is obviously to protect against pedophilic, you know, activity. But the problem here is that the people that are doing the editing of these images have no content, no, co sorry, context or points no. of reference to understand what, what it is they're actually looking at. There's another example of a very famous image from Abu Ghraib where, um, and so we should say too that, that these cleaners um, are all sort of given different categories or areas of expertise. So, mm. you know, whether it's one of them will only be looking at images that could potentially be child pornography. Another one is looking at suicide. Um, another one is looking at ISIS and the, and the, the young man who's um, looking at images of ISIS um, sees this image from very famous in the West of um, a US um, army officer terrorising an Iraqi detainee with a dog in Abu Ghraib and he says well that's clearly an ISIS member po pointing to the US Army official terrorising a, a Western reporter or something. That's how he's mm -hmm. interpreted the image so there's this masses of misinterpretation and then the image comes down and we miss it. Yeah I think ultimately this is really about 
the curation of our social media, which is really interesting. I thought this documentary was fascinating. It is something I have wondered about for a really long time because I didn't think this just came down to algorithms. It's like somebody is looking through our crap Mm. and cleaning it up and saying what's good and what's not. Because these guidelines that we have on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they're such horseshit and they tend to change. They're not consistent. And you can see through this, so um, these outsourced workers in the Philippines, that they're not given proper training in, you know, what these guidelines are, it is coming down to their own moral compass as to what they think is right and what's wrong. Which and it's is a very conservative cu- country. Yeah, we it say. is. So yep. that's the position they're coming mm-hmm. from. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that I did love about this thing, that woman that was said that she was having the dreams about all the different kinds of penises. Yeah, it was just gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Which she said very, yeah. very seriously. Yeah, I know, and I, I love and, that. And that, that, that woman sort of went into the job knowing nothing about exactly. sex. And now yep. her, her area of expertise is Yes, is is pornography. So she needed training, and she. But the training seemed to be like really again arbitrary things like this is what a butt plug means, or so it's kind of it's coming down to these people's own own personal choice of what's moral and what's immoral, and it's yeah, it's so crazy that this is happening and this is our censorship and then it got into the whole kind of censorship thing with you know whole countries like turkey who are saying we don't want this on our social media so therefore it's going and it's being blocked and how facebook and instagram are outsourcing these companies so that they're not technically linked to them even though they are working for facebook and instagram um and it's ultimately the power over how we view the world that these people have that you know is Mm. this wishy-washy training i think someone says it in the documentary that they have essentially become the front page editors of every publication in the world now you know we don't have that control anymore Mm. there are no editors anymore but they're they're here Mm. it's it's a terrifying dystopian sort of um position we found us in and there was one character that really troubled me was that real patriotic young man um, who really is a, a big fan of Duterte. Duterte's. And who famously has this like horrific anti drug campaign mm-hmm. in the Philippines. Of that was, I was quite ignorant to that, and that was yeah. oh, no, really shocking. No, Duterte is actually, yeah. is actually a murderer. Yeah. Well, he's Every, murdered we, we thousands know he of has civilians. People. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the government stopped keeping, keeping count, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, interest, and he sort of sees himself as doing the same in his job. It, I found it really interesting how a lot of the the cleaners had that kind of mentality that they were we're doing this for the good of all people we're doing this for the good of all people so that's clearly been drilled into them and then they're protecting society i know i was griping last week about things running for too long but there was just so much more they could have really delved into depth with about how these people are seeing these horrific images and they've got no mental health support like it's totally it's yeah and there are some devastating ramifications that come out through this film particularly of people that have had to watch live suicides and then watch them through to the end. Otherwise, just, they don't clock their t- their minutes. But or. it was this kind of thing with, you know, these just total bullshit guidelines with Facebook, how they mm. can't deem a live suicide to be something that's against their guidelines until the suicide has it's actually completed. occurred. That's right. So then that content has to stay up there until that point, which is just mental. Mm. But then there's, you know, something like, 
cruelty towards animals and that's totally fine on Facebook mm. to have, you know, dog fighting groups and things like that. Uh, yeah, and the film, so what did you think about, so the film sort of really we start off with um, these workers, in the factory workers, we'll call them, um, in these sort of dark offices. It's very noirish the way they've sort it was of filmed like a total it. noir film. And, and I mean <laughs> yeah. that was just sort of, I felt that was a bit unnecessary from the filmmakers and such but um, and then, as I said in the intro, sort of the, the, the film broadens out into to wider issues and, we, and we're taken to uh, that Senate inquiry I think it was 2016 following um, Trump's election mm. and Russia's interference with the, the election and just uh, how little responsibility anyone is prepared to take for this. So Twitter, Google um, and Facebook were, were all a part of that inquiry um, and none of them sort of seemed... The, at the end of the day, they're tech companies. They actually don't care about... Um, the content as long as you're clicking on it. So that's mm. th- that's their end game. They're sort of operating within this capitalist system of growth and monopoly and then outsourcing. So then when it comes to this stuff, they're like, well, we'll outsource it to another company who then and outsources it to the Philippines. Yeah, yeah I found that really interesting when they were saying that these, because I've never considered Facebook or Twitter or anything like that just to be a tech company. I've always thought of it about as something that's content-based when it's like, mm. it's not, we, we are creating that content. Yeah, but they are yeah, really, we're doing they that. are really tech companies and yeah. this is a this is a problem yep. and this is where we we've kind of got into a really difficult circumstance mm. because they are they're acting like a or the, because of you know the uh, the content curation that essentially has to come into play this is content curation what we're looking at now they are put in the position of being a media company but they're not and that's that's what was nice about this i think that it did go from the micro into the macro and and talked about this idea of um how you put forth i think it was a product manager at facebook or an ex-product manager he had a really his interviews were really enlightening to me and very honest where he talks about how um you know it used to be a person has a right to their opinion now everyone has a right to their own truth and this idea that Facebook in particular flatters um, that view by sharing stuff that's of interest to you so you put out a certain opinion and it's going to bring it back it's going to create this echo chamber that comes back and then that becomes a truth Truth, in your world rather than being challenged by it it's that and the only the only other alternative is outrage they sort of say so you're either going to get the same sort of echo chamber feedback you're talking about if i'm i don't know a green supporter i'm going to get stuff about the adani coal mine and um why it's a bad thing and then i'll get stuff to make me enraged about Mm. it you know because i'll click on that that too, which might just be sensational garbage for all I know, but you yeah. don't know. That's you don't point. know. Yeah. It, what, what was nice about the way this, the cleaners was, well, the way it's made is it um, is about this anonymous force. Like we don't actually, we don't know them until now, which we're being shown some of them. Um, and the actual uh, documentary itself is the invisible documentary and documentary so we don't actually see those people who make it it's very unhysterical in style and i'd say it's very cinematic in style Mm. as well yeah very yeah Yeah. and he does use music it's 
uh, it, the music becomes more dramatic yeah. towards the end. Maybe a little manipulative. Very, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they also avoid showing you these horrific images, but you're left with them. So there's a, there's a mm. they're often describing what they're seeing, particularly the stuff around child pornography. I was very traumatised by it. Mm. Um, but we, you obviously don't see anything. You just see the faces of the um, the cleaners clicking through these images, going ignore, ignore, delete, ignore, delete. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that does sort of conjure these horrific horrific images um, in your mind. And the other thing that really I found so troubling was um, that they're pulling down, it was interesting, that all the anti-Rohingya stuff, mm. um, all these sort of, um, in Myanmar, all these anti-Rohingya hate posts um, produce a lot of positive feedback on Facebook. So they are continuing to be posted and they can't keep up with them because, yes. again, it's about clicks, you know. It was just yeah. a hor- horrific. And then there was um, other... Uh, uh, NGOs sort of trying to um, keep track of like things happening in Syria, um, airstrikes, and they can't um, keep track of the images that are being uploaded because they keep getting taken down because they might show people being tortured or terrorised or bombed. And so because of these ridiculous rules, they're pulling them down and then there's no record left and they can't keep track of where things are happening and how to help and assist. Um, it's a pretty devastating uh, documentary. It's I think it's only playing at Acme at yeah, the moment you're in, right. Mel- in yeah. Melbourne. Doing in a limited season there. Um, so if you want to get along to that, check out the Acme uh, website. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. That 1976 version of A Star Is Born Side by Streisand and Chris Christopherson uh, was at the time a remake of the 1954 musical starring Judy Garland and James Mason, which was a remake of the 1937 <laughs> film starring Janet Gaynor and Frederick March, which was loosely based on the 1932 film What Price Hollywood? Question mark starring Constance Bennett uh, with Lowell Sherman. And in 2018, we have the fourth iteration of A Star Is Born starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Fifth, in fact, if you count. The Bollywood, yeah. the Bollywood I heard version. I someone trying to also count the Bodyguard as the nineties oh, version. No. Oh, really? Yeah. No, no that doesn't work That's at all. I was like that. I thought the same. I was no, like, no, 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 no. That doesn't work because she has the power in yep. a sense in that one. Um, but it's in this one, different, completely no. different. There's a moment at the end of this one, though. Interestingly, that did remind me of the Bodyguard, which mm. maybe we'll talk about later. But in this version of A Star Is Born, uh, Bradley Cooper plays aging country musician Jackson Maine, enormously famous. He struggles with alcoholism and other internal demons. Stumbling into a bar one night, he meets Ali, a singer and waitress who has resigned herself to the fact that she'll never make a career out of singing due to the way she looks, specifically her big nose, which she goes on about. I know. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but Jackson, I'm an elephant. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But Jackson sees her talent and coaxes her into the spotlight. I should say Ali is played by Lady Gaga. Uh, Romance ensues. The pair fall deeper in love, but as Ali's career takes off, their relationship and Cooper's Jackson Maine start to fall apart. Produced and co-written by Bradley Cooper, it is also the actor's directorial debut and his co-star, pop star Lady Gaga's feature film debut. Um, Cooper has reworked the movie from the property's previous incarnations, although it probably bears the most resemblance to the 76 Streisand version in that the story focuses on the careers of rock and pop stars. Um, the Judy Garland version in 54 was the first to turn it into a musical because mm. um, the 1937 version was a, was focused on actors or an actor whose star is fading and an actress whose star is on the rise. Are you familiar with the earlier, all the earlier ones, Sally? Or? I haven't seen the 34 one. 
Yeah, 37. that's it. Sorry, uh, 37. Yeah. That's the only one I haven't seen. I'm the same mm. as Sally. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's really interesting because the first one, um, which uh, well, which was sort of based on another um, one f- which I mentioned in um, the intro, What Price Hollywood, yeah. uh, was interesting because I think, I think that came in, out in like 1932 and that was really about the star system. Like it was mm. about, about how mm. stars are created. They're not actually born. They're, they're sort of manufactured. Out, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, which is so interesting because Hollywood wasn't even a thing till 1910. So mm. already they were so cynical about themselves and also sort of, you know, self-reflective as well. So they were sort of talking about how you come to Hollywood as like Norma Jean and we'll turn you into yeah. Marilyn well, it Monroe. Fa- it was a factory. It was you know, so it was early seen on as though. A factory. But they were so yeah. willing to sort of tell the audience that. And I think in a way what they were doing was trying to sell the audience that dream in a lot of ways too. So you could be the next Norma Jean come Marilyn Monroe. It was very seductive. Yep. Very seductive, mm. yeah. And so then you had the next one, which again was about um, actors. And uh, I think what really happened for the Judy Garland one, which was the third version, is, you know, in the 50s sort of pop stars like Doris Day were, were out, you know, and and rock, you know, oh, sorry, musical sort of, you know, numbers needed to get people back into um, the, the cinema because TV it was a thing. Um, and so uh, this Judy Garland version kind of um, took that sort of mantle and turned it into a musical to get, you know, people back to the cinema. They sort of lost a lot of their audience at at that time to television. Um, It was a new type of musical as well. I think George Cukor who made it, um, Mm. it was his first colour film and his first musical. Mm. And he had a quite a, was quite a well-established director by that time as well. Mm. Um, And uh, the women we talked about during Myth was one of, was one of his His, films. Yeah. Yeah. With a tiny colour sequence in the middle. (laughs) Yeah. Black and white otherwise and then yeah. like it's interesting though because like, for so each sort of version has been sort of relevant to what's been going on at the, it, it, of the day which is like most mm-hmm. good films that they should but um mm-hmm. in the 76 version with Barbara Streisand which was written by Joan Didion I didn't know that until doing a bit of research it's quite amazing who, who was written the year of magical thinking and lots of others um but that they sort of reposited it as a rock um, sort of diegetic um, film. So the, the music sort of was happening within the film. It wasn't sort of now I'm going to sing about how heartbroken I am. It was rock concerts and stadiums. Mm-hmm. Well, I found out a bit of trivia. Yeah. From Lee Gambon's book, We Can Be Who We Are. I have to give that nice a plug. little bit of a plug. <laughs> well, it was a good piece of trivia. Apparently yeah. um, Babs wanted um, uh, Elvis Presley to play that role, ah. um, which Chris Christopherson ended up doing because Elvis Presley died, basically. Yes. Yes. Were they time. partners at that point when they filmed A Star Is Born or had they, were they no longer partners? I didn't get to that bit of trivia, so I'm not sure. Trivia Well, all I can say is Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Woo. Really? <laughs> Woo. Hot stuff. Yeah. 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 Rooting. <laughs> rooting. I hate that word, Emma. Don't use that word ever again on this show. I'm censoring you, cleaner style. Can I not? Yeah. Okay. No rooting and no Aussie. <laughs> no Aussie, that's right. Yeah. Oh, look, you know what? I reckon the biggest um, sort of departure is for this iteration of the film is that she's not an ingenue. She is a thir- she's in her 30s. She's already jaded by the industry and he is ageing, but he he's I don't I didn't get the feeling that his star was fading as was the Chris Christopherson yes, one. I agree. Um, when he sort of gets jealous of Barbara's fame. Whereas um, this version 
wasn't I didn't feel it was about that it was more about addiction it was mm. more about his the trappings of fame um, and him you know his reliance on alcohol and drugs um, getting in the way of their relationship. That's a good point. I think that's absolutely Mm. it. I I really felt that with this movie. I went into this movie expecting to, this is (laughs) my worst nightmare. (laughs) Me too. And I just absolutely loved it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it I loved it. It was just classic Hollywood melodrama. It was just beautiful storytelling. I got totally swept up in it. Um, I've got in one of my notes here, B Coop OMG. Like, he was incredible. Yeah. He was incredibly like, hot, which also I was... He some, just... Yeah. Not necessarily his hotness. <laughs> yeah. Like... Oh, his performance but was his amazing. his performance was just, like, I have... I was gobsmacked by him. Yeah. I know. Gaga's and he directed always, it. He was just... He directed it. And he wrote wrote half the songs too Um, and sung them and performed them. Yeah. yeah, And I I felt that that focus on addiction in this really was one of its strengths, that it didn't go into this kind of jealousy with her rising star. It was really just about, regardless of what was happening with her, he was an addict and this was Mm. falling apart for him. And yeah, I just, he, what he's accomplished in this movie is really phenomenal. And that kind of the intimacy that he achieves and also the vastness that he has achieved with the concert scenes and stuff is spectacular. It was this real closeness and this huge vastness. There's two things to talk about there. And yeah, one is those live concert scenes Mm. were remarkable. They really sort of get you in there. And it's because they were real. (laughs) So they went to Glastonbury. There were several actually there was several, it was like Glastonbury mm, Coachella and yeah. another one and they'd go in off the back so there'd be like a concert in process in front of 80,000 people, maybe it's Willie Nelson or some other country singer and then they'd sort of go to the audience, okay, we're just going to film this little scene from a new film with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga and they'd get up there and be in character. You yeah. know, Lady Gaga is de-gaga. She's very, you know, natural looking and mm. playing this um, other singer and um, they'd get there and do them. And I, that opening scene uh, with him like hamming it out on the mm. on the guitar I was like oh yeah like, I, was, <laughs> really, I felt like I was there and like, it's it really, really interesting because yeah. I thought the music I didn't like the music no, at all me neither. but it didn't yeah. hinder the film for me no like it didn't downplay it whatsoever I was like I can just I totally go with this yeah. 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 it's not my style of music at all I've never been a big Gaga fan I have been neutral I've never yeah. really had a strong opinion about her in yeah. any way but um, I was so blown away by her performance as a debut performance as well mm. um, compare that to Madonna's many forays into <laughs> film and it's even more impressive yep. but they did manage to create an incredible rapport um, on screen. I mean, this is the part of this is central to any romance, and what this film is 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 it's a romance. It is when it comes down to it, and some really great romances. You think of something like even Notting Hill plays into that fame thing as well, which I love. Mm. I love Notting Hill. Mm. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, but things like you know the Notebook, or even you know Sabrina. The really good. They're really good romances. A good romance is a good romance. It's yeah. cheesy. Yeah, it's always going to be like that because they're kind of it hits buttons that you never want to admit to. <laughs> yeah. But the, but this does. And it, to be totally honest, I think that across all of the Star is Born movies, there there are purple patches across all of them, but the central premise is really, really strong and the idea, and I think even buying into this idea of someone 
with talent who's not famous and there's probably a lot of them walking around here in Melbourne at the moment to think that they could be swept up on this. It's a dream, you Mm. know, and um, a tragic dream in the case of this story, but that's why it's so powerful. But um, this film, you know, it's still flawed. I think um, Stewie, who's usually uh, is regular in this, uh, in the cave and he is not here tonight. I saw it with him and he had a lot of trouble understanding the dialogue between Bradley Cooper and Sam Elliott. I, I didn't. I thought when I was seeing it, I was thinking of Stuart because I know that he trouble. said that. And but maybe I was just paying extra I'm, attention. I'm, I'm probably. <laughs> I probably heard a lot of Sam Elliott because I think that Bradley Cooper. What was really interesting about his role was he was playing off Sam Elliott. Mm. He was actually playing Sam Elliott mm. to create that brotherly, that fraternal. Um, Thing because uh, that's and an something that's been added to this that isn't in the previous. Well, you know films. why too? Because the film is really more about um, the the man. She, be- yes. I, she, it's really more about him. She actually has quite very little to play with I would say you don't I don't think we even know her surname she you don't get any backstory for her which is really unlike the other a star is born ones which is all about backstory like what's your origin story and all about name yeah the name thing is very big you yeah know? the idea is with the Judy Garland one they change her name and yep. then in Barbara uh, Barbara Streisand's mm. character says Esther Hoffman that's my name I'm mm. not changing my name why yeah. do I have to change my social security you know that <laughs> but it's well, an interesting yeah. approach because I know that with the Streisand one with the Chris Christopherson character we don't really get any background into him mm. so it's kind of yeah I guess that they've flipped it in this way that yeah. they're giving I guess more context to, to him the male which character. I found really interesting yeah. what I think didn't work for me um, just to pick on your comments of Sally about um, addiction is that it was very sanitary like it was very clean like what, what it what it did do well is show the sort of the cycle of alcoholism and addiction mm-hmm. and having to deal with that in a relationship but I didn't feel it never got really ugly it didn't get deeply yeah, it ugly didn't, it didn't. the only time oh I, no it there is. was it one scene that got ugly <laughs> the only time that I got really quite frightened is a moment where she is getting famous and has some deal on the table and and he's quite drunk and he picks up some sort of cake and smashes oh, it into her face. Yes. And I was quite terrified in that moment, but then it didn't really go anywhere. It didn't explore I, that I really, except sorry. that... Le- oh, no, no, it's all right. <laughs> except that later on there's like like a little nod to it in the wedding scene. Mm. He does the same kind of thing, but there was something quite terrifying in that. Yeah. And then it sort of disappears and we don't explore it. That scene I really enjoyed for the fact that it didn't become something yes. terrifying because I thought, yeah. okay, this is it. Shit's mm. going to go down. Yeah. It's going to become... He's going to be this very jealous creature. And then it was just something really heartfelt and playful and it just wore its heart on its sleeve. So I really enjoyed that about that scene. Yeah, I think that the important thing is, um, and uh, from the, the the idea of this being a romance, is that if he had a, became violent, we would have turned against him yep. yeah. and we wouldn't have accepted that. Yeah, we yeah. wouldn't have sympathised. And also, you know, he's largely an alcoholic in this and... Mm. Um, just to say someone's an alcoholic doesn't mean they're going to abuse someone. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it doesn't necessarily go hand in hand. It can, yeah. but it doesn't have to, you know. I thought um, Gaga, as we're talking about A Star Is Born, if you've just tuned in, and I thought um, Lady Gaga, who plays Ali, the main lead in this um was an interesting choice. I mean, I can see why they've done it because it's about, he sort of says in the film, it's about being your authentic self, being true to yourself. Um, and that's what she work, works off a lot well, in she, but terms in, of in, her. But in, no, in reality, in real life, she doesn't. In real life, she's about the artifice 
which is kind of really weird and at odds. But yeah. she's, she she's about the performance art, and that's I think her strength. I think she's an, an amazing pop star, an amazing. Um, artistic performer and I actually don't I actually don't her singing's fine like it's really strong and powerful and but not that to me not that interesting like I think there are better more interesting singers and so there the scene where he sort of discovers her in this bar and she happens to be in a gay bar like a drag queen bar and they allow her to sing within it which I think is really like was quite good given that she's Lady yes, Gaga and has that, that yeah, audience, yeah. you know. And But then so she's sort of up there almost Singing like... Singing La Vie en Rose. La Vie en Rose yeah. in this sort of drag style, even though she's a woman, which really speaks to her Lady Gaga yes. persona. Um, and I thought that was really that was really clever. I thought that, that that was done really well. But I just thought I couldn't see... Like the, the performance of her voice wasn't amazing. Like to me, it's fine. Um, but her acting is phenomenal. I actually think her acting is better than her singing in this which is really interesting because I think at the end of the day she is a performer she's not really mm. a singer she's a performer and she she performs really well in this but I don't I couldn't buy in the film what he saw in her as being this phenomenal talent I was just like I actually don't think the songs are that great or the voice is that great acting yes she's got it you know I thought that, mm. that she was excellent in that but I just thought I don't know if that really worked for me and there's a lot and there's a period where she starts going through her pop transformation into um you know the manufactured pop star that she's going to become as her star mm. rises and he hates it and he's like well, you're not being authentic you're not Which being more yourself. her what and she I'm, does exactly yes. and I'm being, no no she's evolving back into gaga it's yeah. good it's good yeah, um, <laughs> yeah um, i thought that that was kind of funny and you know but the film never explores why that's a problem it doesn't explore fame really like the other films do it doesn't really go there and into like why does he see that as being so problematic i mean i know why it's really it's really weird i I think everyone should watch these this whole suite of films yeah, because yeah. there are the strengths that one has that the other film doesn't have totally. and I think the one that really you see the talent you see the talent that he sees is Judy Garland, Garland. absolutely in I that jazz club when yes. she does the song more than Barbara Streisand which is the Queen Bee song we just played yep. that's what he sees her sing but he's too busy having fights because he's drunk yeah in the yeah, bar. yeah. I, I, I read somewhere that the first time Bradley Cooper saw Lady Gaga sing a song, it was La Vie en Rose, and that's why. It's yes, you did read correctly. It's very romantic, isn't it? I know. It? I think maybe a little they bit are too rushing. romantic. <laughs> there it goes again, Lisa. <laughs> I know. He was incredibly. But their relationship on screen was so. Um, uh, electric. Oh, they just got it so well. I was really taken and that's by what sells it. Yeah. That's what sells it. Yeah. And, and that's the what sex you need. Are bloody brilliant. The thing that I was like, come on, he, he's an alcoholic and a, and a drug abuser, but he is ripped. Like, he takes yeah, off I his shirt. That too. I was and like, I'm like, yeah, he's not <laughs> built like that if he's an alcoholic. <laughs> he's got a great six pack for a drink. Hang on. But yeah, seen he, he, he pop. He just played a broken man so incredibly well. He did. I, like you were saying before how you've been with Gaga, I've been like that with Bradley Cooper. I've been very neutral on him yeah. and not really had an opinion, but, yeah, I thought that he this was This is really well-directed, though. This is, re- yeah. apart from just his performance, this is very well-directed. Um, yeah. I, I think it's the most successful of all of the Star is yeah, Born films. I agree it was with a big you. call, but... Oh, it's fantastic. Mm. There's one other scene I wanted to talk about um, because there is this sort of big blind spot in this film 
film, and that is social media, given that we've been talking about mm-hmm. online internet and social media and Facebook, etc. Um, there's a scene where she wins her Grammy um, mm. and he's incredibly intoxicated and sort of stumbles onto stage and in devastatingly embarrasses her. Um, and then they then sort of spend some, some time apart, which is really needed. And you, you don't get any kind of insight into what the, f- the fallback of that mm. was for her. Um, and you can just imagine the vitriol that would have been online because this is broadcast around the world. It's a live thing. It's like, you know, great content for social media. So, it, you know, she would have copped it. He would have copped it. And the film doesn't go there to, inc- yeah. to explore what those ramifications are. Instead, you sort of get her manager scolding him in mm. another scene about it. And that the fact that she never will because she's so supportive and loving of him, which is my only other sort of criticism I, I thought, about the film. I thought about that too when I was watching it because yeah. instantly that's what you think, okay, social media culture. Yeah. But I think it's been Bradley Cooper's decision to focus on their relationship and not the fame aspect of it. Yes. And I think that that's why that that, as, was, that gets cut out of it. Yeah. yeah. If it was sort of, I think, whereas more the Streisand one, it's sort of more focused on fame, then that would definitely have to be in there. But because Cooper has taken the other road, mm-hmm. that we can get away with not having that in there. But I definitely thought about mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. And I just, I just mm-hmm. wanted her to have a bit more meat to her role. You know, she was quite meek, and she just was. I, you, you got the impression that given, I, like, the, I thought she told him off a lot. I like that. Yeah, like straight yeah. away, she was tough. She with called him, him out, yeah. and that was beautiful. Yeah. That relationship was beautiful. But there was no. You've got the feeling that if if she given given the choice, she would drop the career for him, which yeah. isn't a bad thing. But I just thought yeah. it, there was no real internal battle for her about it. You know, she was just always like supportive of, of yeah, him. But you know? she still pursued the career. She you did, know? Yeah. and you could see. So I think that that's inherent. Yeah, it shows that um, she was still willing to pursue the career. She was just trying to juggle it with her relationship, and she did do things like there was one scene that I really loved where she she came to him when he was in a spot of bother and said, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and said. I've come to you this time, but I'm never, I'm not coming, coming again. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that was before she married him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I'll play um, one track from the film, uh, which is, I think it's like the first uh, duet that they do, that they sort of co-write together, and I uh-huh. guess it's about their relationship. The other thing I'll say about this film is the music is very dated. Like, it sort of feels like... like dad it, rock. But it's yeah. country pop. It's, it's country like pop. It's Thurbert or something. It's Eddie yeah. Better and it's yeah. Neil Young and stuff. But it's... You know, the other thing I found hard to sort of go with is that these sort of like, you know, worldwide pop stars, I feel like they just sort of, I don't know, like country. I don't know if that really works for that anymore. Oh, but America, you know? America is huge. You still, you reckon? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like guitar music, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, that's my sort of bag. But I reckon, I, like, I think this is American chart stuff yeah. that they've gone for. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was a good choice to make them rock stars as opposed to actors because I feel like that's where you're more ubiquitous worldwide in terms of fame, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it made a lot of sense. Three. Triple. Next, we're discussing Donbass. As you're probably aware, conflict broke out in eastern Ukraine back in 2014 and it hasn't ended. There are approximately approximately 100,000 fighters on the ground, making it one of the most heavily militarised regions on earth, with Ukrainian forces to the west and Russian-backed separatist militias to the east. Fighting occurs along a contact line. In 2015, a peace agreement called for a ceasefire, creating a security zone between east and west. But three years later, the security zone remains the most violent place in the Ukraine. The ceasefire is violated daily and almost 10,000 people have died since war broke out. And I read today, I think one and a half million are displaced. Um, mm. 
Writer-director Sergei Loznitsa's depiction of this ongoing war in eastern U- Ukraine's Donbass region will not offer you this kind of background framework. Donba- Donbass is a hard movie to get a handle on. Without a linear narrative or broader context to the conflict, it offers only snapshots into the sheer madness of the whole situation in an, in an equally mad and all-over-the-place kind of way. Playing as a series of sketches into the lives and daily goings-on in Donbass, the tone veers from fear and outrage to absurdist humour to inexplicable chaos. Chapters depict events from a woman dumping a bucket of crap on a councilman's head to an egomaniacal separatist discussing scavenged supplies for a maternity ward and much more. Donbass is Loznitsa's second film about the war. His first maiden was a documentary about the revolution which began the conflict at the end of 2013 and this, his fictional follow-up has a grainy faux documentary style too. Uh, Donbass was an internationally co-produced and selected as the opening film in the Uncertain Regard section at the 2018 Cannes Film Festival where Loznitsa won the Uncertain Regard Award for Best Director. Um, mm. Emma, how did you find go, mm. how did you go making sense of it? No, I was very confused. Yes, I, it, it started, I, I'd like to make a point of um, not really reading about films before yeah. watching them, yeah. basically. Yeah. And I had seen, oh, look, you know, I had some information sent that I read at some point about this, but I've completely forgotten about it and I just went into it completely blind and um, that wasn't a really great idea. Um Yeah, it was very, very confusing. I don't, I didn't know what the context was. Um, The even the vignette style was very uh, blurred. Mm. I kind of got through the first two and thought, this is suffering from no central protagonist. Basically, an Mm. hour. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And and the thing is, though, I will say my. That uh, that way of pr- approaching cinema uh, has not been a disservice to me in the past. So I think it's actually a, a problem with this film that I couldn't latch, get a grasp. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't get a handle of it. I didn't mind that so much. You know what it reminded me a lot of bizarrely was Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Just these sort of like chapters of like bizarre abstract ideas and in this film all revolving around war and the atrocities of, of war and the ridiculousness of it all too, yeah. you know. And so I didn't tonally, I actually kind of enjoyed it but I didn't necessarily understand it. Yeah, I went in exactly the same way as Emma and I had no knowledge, no prior knowledge, no context and it, I was watching this thinking, I feel like the stupidest person that's ever oh, yeah. lived. It's because, made to make you feel dumb. Um, I, it took me about an hour into it to figure out that it wasn't a linear narrative, it wasn't going to link up mm. um, and then I was also struggling with you know, my cultural disconnect from what's you know happening in Ukraine so I found it really difficult there were a couple of the... Um, of the scenes in it which I adored, particularly the wedding. Yes. Mr. and Mrs. Fried Egg. Oh, that was <laughs> fantastic. It was a welcome relief because there's, no, there's no laughter. Because the one prior to that, which was the other one that I loved, which was the um, was really quite brutal, um, was, yeah, just completely devastating. And then going into Mr. and Mrs. Fried Egg, this, you know, over-the-top absurd wedding scene with, mm. I think, a middle-aged man and woman who are just so completely drunk that they're stumbling through their vows and it's excellent. Um, so I came away from it and just went, 
what have I just watched? And then looked into it. And if I had have had that knowledge before I watched it, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Mm. Um, Reflecting on it today, I've got more from it from having that knowledge. But Mm. I felt really confused and not in a intrigued what's going to happen next. I I felt stupid watching it. was kind of just like brutality building on brutality, you know. Yes, yet you talk about that sort of absurdist humour. It wasn't Mm. as slapstick as a Monty Python film. Oh, no, no. I kind of (laughs) probably shouldn't have compared it to Monty Python. No, but I I get it. But but I think that actually Monty Python do that vignette style. You know what, you you understand it. There's there's a few filmmaking techniques that he could have employed that would have helped. Let's just say. Connect. Yeah. Even a, a, some sort of card at the start that could have provided a context. It was, yeah. It was, um, and I know you know he probably doesn't. He didn't want to do that, but you know yeah. you've got to think of a, a broad audience, and maybe he wasn't thinking in quite that. He was thinking in a much more narrower context. I mean, I do appreciate films that don't spe- spoon feed you at the same time. So I did like it in a lot of ways. I feel like it's a film you need. I'd need to revisit, mm. you know, to get it. But um, yeah, look, I I, I I didn't give it a lot of time at the end of um, our show. Unfortunately, I'll have to wrap it up. But um, if you, at the end, yes, the end was amazing it was yes it was actually yeah yeah it was great i also thought there was an interesting comment there speaking about we've been talking about the internet and truth and um censorship and stuff there are so many mobile phones there was lots that we could get into with this and i think you know social media and technology heaps heaps yeah yeah. and but it was like it didn't matter because the truth still isn't sort of getting out there Mm. anyway Mm. you know and that was a a, a real sadness to this piece um the film is called don bass it's on uh limited uh release and uh we also spoke about a star is born which is on wide national release and the cleaners which if you live in melbourne you can see at the australian center for the moving image um you have been listening to emma westwood sally christie and myself lisa kovacevic and happy birthday happy birthday thanks guys um 21 again this has been a podcast from three triple r 102.7 fm in melbourne truly independent community radio want to hear more Check out our website at rrr.org.au.